welcome this evening to Cabin Devils. My name is David. I'm going to be joined by Dr. Norris as we look at the soul. The last time we had Dr. Norris with us, we were looking at the heart. And I believe that uh, tonight is going to be equally awesome. In fact, not just tonight, but this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My prayer tonight is that uh, the God of peace will sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prayer I just borrowed from uh, uh, Paul uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Uh, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your head, your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that fully well. I know that fully well. And we stopped at verse 14. And I know that the rest of the verses are equally encouraging. But we'll stop there for now as we get you ready to just listen to Dr. John uh, this evening. One of the things I did, like I usually do, is look out a couple of articles uh, online concerning the soul. And my favorite, um, uh, Oswald Chambers, has this is, you guys have to listen to this. You really, really have to listen to this. And I, I pray that uh, you'll be encouraged the same way I was. I'm talking about the soul and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, the great mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is in the deep recesses of our being which we cannot reach hmm. and just to give you a background to all of this discussion we are really trying to understand the great commandment um, when our lord jesus christ says uh, in his word you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and from the poster today i asked the question soul but how? And I do have a picture there of a gentleman looking at a, uh, a board of chess, trying to figure out the next move. And sometimes, if we don't understand these words really well, um, we may look at this commandment as complex, as a chessboard. And yet it is not. I think it's one of the simplest things for us. I don't think God would make obedience so, so complex uh, to that extent. But... Oswald Chambers recognizes and says the great and mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is in the deep recesses of our being, which we cannot reach. And Psalm 139 that we just read falls exactly in there when it says, Search my heart, O Lord, 
Search my heart. Search me. Search me. Because it's right there. Right there are places we cannot reach. Search me, O Lord, and know me. For you know when I sit down. You know when I rise. He knows our intentions. Anyway, Oswald Chambers continues to say, The psalmist implies, O Lord, you are the God of the early mornings, the God of the late nights, the God of the mountain peaks, and the God of the sea. But my God, my soul has horizons farther away than those of the early mornings, deeper darkness than in the nights of the earth, higher peaks than any mountain peaks, greater depths than any sea in nature. You, who are the God of all these, be my God. I cannot reach the heights or to the depths. Their motives I cannot discover. Dreams I cannot realize. My God, search me. This is where he also Chambers really got me. When he said there are motives I cannot discover, there are dreams I cannot realize. My God, search me. At that point, I stopped and asked the question, why do I say the things that I say? Why do I think the things that I, I think? Why do I do the things that I do? And I actually just realized that there are motives I cannot discover, dreams I cannot realize on my own, but God can search me and find those things and bring them to light. Do we believe, here's a question that is asked, do we believe that God can fortify and protect our thought processes far beyond where we can go? Now, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Of course, we know that from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, if this verse means cleansing only on our conscious level, may God have mercy on us. The man who has been dulled by sin will say that there's not, sorry, the man who has been dulled by sin will say that he's not even conscious of it. But the cleansing from sin that we experience will reach the heights and depths of our spirit if we will walk in the light as he is in the light. The same spirit that fed the life of Jesus Christ will feed the life of our spirit. It is only when we are protected by God with the miraculous sacredness of the Holy Spirit that our spirit, soul, and body can be preserved in pure uprightness until the coming of Jesus, no longer condemned in God's sight. We should more frequently allow our minds to meditate on these great massive truths of God. I found some encouragement from those words, at least in knowing that God will search my heart and will bring to light everything that is in my heart only when I ask him to, because we just talked about a man who has been dulled by sin, who does not want God's word to reach those depths of the soul that we cannot be able to reach. But tonight we are joined by uh, Dr. John Norris. Dr. John Norris, you are welcome. How has your day been? Did you spend the rest of the day on the beach? Not today, Dave. Uh, today we have kind of a rainy day out there. Uh, you guys probably saw, if you watched the little video that I sent over to David, it was cloudy uh, yesterday. We're, we're in a little bit of a rainy season here in Florida. But um, yeah, we had beautiful sunshine all over the weekend. But, but today uh, we're getting that uh, liquid sunshine called rain. Amen. Liquid sunshine. <laughs> oh, boy. I like your view on things. But, Dr. John, I usually have a series of questions at the beginning. Today, I only have one. 
Only one. But the only question I have is as simple as what the poster um, that I designed today implied. Simplify for us the greatest commandment. When the Lord says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Could you just simplify that for us? Imagine you're teaching Sunday school right now. Imagine you're talking to a child right now. I personally don't believe it's as complex as chess uh, because I think the Lord desires obedience more than we do, and he will try and simplify his commandments. But I must also acknowledge that, man, when you think about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, sometimes you get a headache just thinking about those things. Could you maybe in one or two minutes just simplify that commandment for us? Oh boy, David, sure. I'll give it to you as simple as I can. We have to keep in mind that Jesus was asked a question and his response was in, uh, in an answer to this question, which is, good teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And so, as you know, the law had uh, 10 commandments and then uh, hundreds of other commandments that uh, teachers, Pharisees had added to the law. And what Jesus did in in a beautiful stroke of genius was sum the entire law up in two statements. Uh, Now, those statements to unpack are not easy uh, or simple, but he says, you love God with all your heart. That's the deepest part of you with all of your soul. And as we'll see today, that's the, the farthest part of you, if you will. That's the, that's everything of you with your mind. That's the part of you that is rational and thinks things. Uh, And then with your strength, and I think that implies your body. And so Jesus's response uh, is he says, yes, this, and he says, oh, and by the way, the second is like it. So he he added not just loving God, but loving everyone else around you. And Jesus says, essentially, this is God's law. Love him and love everyone. So really the command is to love, and how we love is what has been described Uh, for us. And I believe that by the end of today, we'll have a clearer understanding. David, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate uh, just how you've uh, introduced us to the soul. And I was reading Psalm 139 along with you. And what I want to do is for your uh, listeners who still have their their Bibles or their uh, uh, hand cell phones uh, with the apps tuned to 139, I want to take you back to Psalm 139, uh, verse 13, and then read verse 14 in the ESV, which I was reading. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And it's interesting to me because that word in in verse 14 of Psalm 139 is the word that we're going to talk about today. It's the word nefesh, N-E-F-E-S or S-H is the way we would uh, 
say it in English. And it's a, it's a really difficult word to translate. And so it was actually interesting to me that in the translation that David, that you read, uh, they, they translated it out. And that's one of the things that's kind of making it hard to understand the soul nowadays is a lot of the modern translators are actually taking that word nefesh and substituting different words in for it. In fact, the word nefesh occurs in the Old Testament text, in the original Hebrew, more than 750 times. Now, any word that occurs that frequently ought to be allowed to stand on its own. Uh, you remember a couple of months ago when we talked about the word heart, uh, that's the word lev or levav, and uh, that word in the Hebrew uh, occurs about a thousand times. So they didn't mess with the heart, uh, but the modern translators have messed with the soul uh, mercilessly. And I'll share with you a little bit uh, more about what I mean uh, uh, later. Bruce Waltke, who's a fantastic uh, Old Testament theologian, defines the, uh, the nefesh or the soul as the passionate drives and appetites of all breathing creatures, including their hunger for food and sex. And so what's interesting is that the soul or nefesh is not something that is unique to human beings, okay? Every living and breathing creature is said to have a soul, which is kind of interesting because when Jesus says, uh, love with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, we kind of get the idea that maybe that's something that only humans uh, have. Um, it's true that only humans can use their soul to love. So that's one of the things that distinguishes us from animals, but, but it's that life principle in animals that is also translated with that same word, nefesh. Now in the Greek, and we'll talk less about that, but in Greek, the word is suke, and that is, has been translated to be the seat and center of life that transcends the earthly. So in other words, we, we use terms to define the soul that are very difficult to understand. Uh, remember back in May when we talked about the heart, what we concluded the heart was, was the core of the individual. So when we mean that, the core, the center, we know that the heart is the center of the physical body but we concluded that the heart is also the center of the spiritual body or the spiritual nature of man. And therefore, the heart, because it's the core of the individual, the heart could be considered also the center of the soul. And that's something that we'll explore as we go a little bit further. The term for heart implies that deepest part, the, the, the deepest, most uh, central part that, that motivates us to, uh, to, to do the actions that we will. Uh, Jesus said, in fact, that evil thoughts and, uh, and sin uh, comes out from the heart when it is present in a person who has those evil thoughts and, and evil words. But what I wanted to do actually was tell you about my first introduction to the word soul, 
And I don't know if it translates into uh, African culture, but in American culture, uh, the first word, uh, really time that you hear the word soul is when you're a little boy or a little girl and your parents are Christians and they teach you this prayer. It goes something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And it's a short little kind of, it's almost like uh, for us, a song called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. That's something that you learn early on in life. And, uh, and this prayer is, I can remember learning that prayer and saying it probably dozens or maybe even hundreds of times uh, and not really having any clue as to what my soul was, except that it was something really important because I was talking to God about it. Um, I'm laying down to sleep. I want the Lord to keep my soul. And here's kind of a morbid thought for a seven-year-old or a six-year-old, if you're praying that prayer, if I should die before I wake up, go ahead and take my soul. Now, I'm not quite clear on exactly why little kids are need to be taught that prayer, but that is uh, was my first experience uh, to it. And I actually, in retrospect, I kind of wish that people would have given me a little bit more information about my makeup uh, as a spiritual person. And there's a, a writer uh, who wrote a book called The Journey of the Soul. Uh, it's actually a, a couple, Bill and Christy uh, Galtieri, and they give a definition of the soul that I think is really good. So I'm going to read this right up front from Bill and Christy. He says, notice that your soul isn't a wispy little ghost inside you that floats up to heaven when you die, like it's portrayed in the movies. It's actually your whole person. Flowing out from deep inside you, it encompasses your body and expands out into your social wor world. In other words, your soul is so large that your body is actually inside your soul. That's why people in the same room can feel each other's energy and mood even without talking. Your soul, well cared for by God, invigorates and integrates all the functions of your being, your emotions, your thoughts, your intentions, your body, and even your relationships into a flow of joyful, abundant, powerful, divine, and eternal life expressed in your unique personality. It's actually interesting for me, David, as I consider this whole concept of the soul, to, to read people's concepts like that. Uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians and kind of uh, uh, recent kind of, uh, I've never met him, but mentors uh, of my Christian uh, life was a man named uh, Dallas Willard. And he really helped me with this kind of understanding of the soul. He said this, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Uh, 
Your soul is not just something that lives on after your body dies. It's the most important thing about you. It is your life. And that's why I have had such a difficult time in actually defining it. Because and, and why so many people like to translate it as a life, because as we defined the heart being the core, the center, the internal, the deepest, deepest part of you, the soul could be defined as the whole, the totality of you, everything about you. And so what I've come and I want our, our listeners to kind of take away with, I just try to come up with a simple a phrase that you can understand, and that is this, the soul is the whole. So the soul, S-O-U-L, is the whole, W-H-O-L-E. It's the whole of you. Um, in, in his book, uh, quoting Dallas Willard, John Ortberg wrote a, a book called Soul Keeping, and he writes, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. It's something like a program that runs a computer you don't usually notice until it messes up. So he says that sort of the, the soul is like the operating system. It seeks harmony, connection, and integration. That is why integrity is such a deep soul word. The human soul seeks to integrate our will, our mind, and our body into one integral person. Beyond that, the soul seeks to connect us with other people, with creation, and with God himself. So the notion is that the soul is actually not the deepest or, or inmost part of us. The soul is actually the part of us that from the inside goes outward. And it's the, it's the everything of us, uh, really. And so that, that causes us to raise a couple of important questions, which is, how does this all work? When does a soul become a soul? And what is the difference between your soul and your spirit? Do you have both? Uh, serious theologians over the years have asked these important questions. And, and this is where I get to that idea of like, let's define the term the way God has defined the term. So specifically, the term soul has a spiritual connotation. The term soul encompasses the other spiritual terms that we've talked about, like the heart and the spirit and the mind and the flesh and even the body and the emotions as opposed to the term the self, okay, which many of us hear about the self. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to love yourself. Those aspects of, of our society that have focused us on self are more like psychology than they are spirituality. Now, there's nothing wrong with those. Uh, aspects. And when we think of self, we can think of ourselves as a soul, which I think would be a healthy way to think of ourselves, or we can think of ourselves as 
sons and daughters of God, uh, or as uh, Willard says, you know, eternal spirits kind of dwelling in temporary bodies. That's really our, our current assignment, at least. So as I mentioned, soul is closely related to the term for heart. Uh, the soul nephesh in the in the actual Hebrew text of the Old, uh, Old Testament occurs 750 or more times. In the King James, which was translated in the 1600s, the word soul only occurs about 500 or 550 times. And so there's about 250 times, even in the 1600s, that the translators decided we think soul is a difficult word here, so let's throw it out and put a new word in there like life or something like that. In 1989, the new revised standard version came out, and there were about 200 out of 750 references in the Old Testament to soul. And in 2011, when the newest version of the NIV came out, there were about 100 references to the term soul instead of 750 as is in the original Hebrew. The common English Bible, which is a, another modern translation of the Hebrew scriptures, it's an actual translation, has only nine references out of 750 times in the Old Testament Hebrew that the word nephesh is written only nine times is it rendered or translated as the word soul. And the reason that I bring that up is it helps me to explain why people in the church and why Christians and why people even in seminaries don't have a good working understanding of what the soul actually is. Uh, and instead of the word soul, a lot of times it's been replaced with the word life or the word living being. And you can see how those terms don't actually have the same connotation as we've talked about the soul being uh, something that actually integrates your entire will, your your intentions, your thoughts, your feelings, your conscience, your your body into a single unit that encompasses heart, spirit, mind, flesh, everything about you, and then connects you to other people. So let's take, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's the point. You say the question, difficult to understand, so let's throw it out. <laughs> really? No. Let's go back in the scriptures to the first occurrence of the word soul or nephesh. And I think to me, that's where I like to do is dive into the scriptures. And what we see is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, uh, is where the first time the word nephesh occurs. And so this is in the creation of Adam of course. And the King James, I'm going to translate that. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living nephesh, a living soul. So this is the idea. God took dust from the ground, the finest of the fine dust, and God, like a sculptor, made Adam's body first and foremost. And then God took that body, that formed body that was not breathing, 
that did not have a beating heart or anything else. And it says that God breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And then Adam became a soul. So I think this is our, our time of thinking about how the soul exists. We go back to Adam and the creation of Adam. And we see that Adam is an embodied spirit. God breathes the breath of life, the spirit of life into Adam, and Adam had a physical body, and therefore Adam became a spirit man for the first time. So a spiritual, uh, physical being. And that is the term for, for soul, is that is a being, like even an animal, that has breath and life and vitality and all of that. And what's interesting is when you look at the earliest um, uh, theologians, for example, Augustine, he loved the word soul. And one of his most famous quotations is this, St. Augustine's observation that our soul is restless until it finds rest in thee, O Lord, for you have made us for yourself, or it says, thou has made us for thyself. And so that's the whole key. God made Adam for himself, for God himself. And then Adam already existing as a living soul is the one that God uses to create the next living soul, Eve. And and, and this is the beauty of how creation works is just like God had created the animals uh, and the fish and the birds and all of the different creatures that then made themselves, they reproduced themselves. God made Adam and Eve into living souls that then produced living souls after them. So because they were embodied spirits, Adam and Eve, then in their offspring, Cain and Abel and, and down the line, all of their offspring were therefore embodied spirits or souls. And so we'll get into some questions about that, but I wanted to hit a few more verses because where the, where the uh, scriptures allow the word soul to stay in the most part is in the Psalms. And I just want to read a few of these to you, and then you'll get the gist of what a soul is. Psalm 19.7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 23 uh, one through three says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Psalm 42, one and two says, as the deer pants for flowing streams or water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 54, 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 103, 1 through 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 131, 1 and 2 has become a favorite of mine. A friend of mine uh, showed me this, and really I've, it's, it's given me peace in my soul. It says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so what you can see is that though the soul is is in the Psalms here, kind of dealt with in a way that it seems like it's very internal. It's also something that allows us to be restored, to um, uh, thirst for God, to connect with God, to be sustained by God, and then to experience a peace and that peace of being in right relationship with God. I I do want to leave some time for, for questions, but what I want to do is that kind of go into the New Testament now, because there's one person uh, who, who was the soul, who is the perfecter of our souls. And when he talks and when he teaches us about our souls, we really have to listen. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus invites us to come and be yoked with him, and in so doing, as we're working like an oxen plowing the field to have a peace and a rest for our souls because of our connection with him. The last thing that I want to share with you guys, and then I'll take some questions, is out of John Ortberg's work, Soul Keeping, and I'm going to read this for you. Horatio Spafford invested most of what he had in real estate. He lived in Chicago and lost everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. It destroyed his home. He had no insurance. He lost most of his money. In 1873, he put his wife and their four daughters, their son having died just shortly before the fire in Chicago, on a ship heading to England as Horatio Spafford stayed behind to re-stimulate his business. A few days after the ship had departed, he received a telegram from his wife. Saved alone. What shall I do? There had been a shipwreck. All four of their daughters perished. Horatio quickly boarded another ship for England, and as it passed over the very same place in the ocean where his daughters had drowned, he wrote these words to a song. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow, 
like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we sing that and uh, not nearly understanding the pain and the suffering and the agony that Horatio Spafford uh, must have experienced even as he was writing those words. But one of the things as we go into the next couple of days, uh, Wednesday night we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit and the perfection of, of your soul and my soul. And then on Friday, we'll talk about how to love God with that soul that glorifies him. Uh, I hope for all of you, I know this was kind of quick, uh, but I hope this was a good introduction as to what the soul is and how to understand the soul. I will be happy to take any of your questions. Thank you. And thank you so much, uh, Dr. John. It's really been quick. And yet when I look at the time, we've actually used about 25 minutes uh, or so, which is really a lot of time. Um, I think also that's also to say that it's been very, uh, every bit of it, uh, has been encouraging, um, a lot to take in. Most of my questions uh, have been answered. One of them, of course, was coming from Genesis, the first appearance of the word soul. And uh, it's interesting how the ESV uh, replaced that with living creature. And uh, I mean, it's also fascinating. I don't know if fascinating is the right word to use how much has been lost over the years when men are trying to understand this word, the soul. I mean, the last transition you gave us was 100 references out of 700. Did I get that right, Dr. John? So the NIV, David, 100 references roughly, and that was in the 2011 translation. The Common mm. English Bible Version translates the word nephesh, out of 750 times, it translates its soul nine times. Wow. And there we are. It's all gone. But not that we are trying to understand the process that God used in creating man um, uh, when he, he, he formed him out of the dust of the ground, according to Genesis 2.7, um, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I, I know we commented at least one Genesis teacher and professor who has used that verse to explain the difference between different types of lives and allow me to qualify that statement with different types of lives. He says, of course, plant life is some sort of life, but animal life is different from plant life especially because of the presence of blood. I do not know of any plant that bleeds blood, but you would still say a plant can live and die. And yet when you think about animal life, it's quite different. You see a different kind of life. You don't see a plant looking at you. You don't see a plant feeling sad, but you can recognize when a dog is sad. But he came to say, I mean, human life is different from animal life. It's different from plant life. Why? Because God has preserved human life with so much, I will use the word sanctity, um, to the point that no one can take another person's life. 
you may uh, knock a deer or a dog by accident or a cat while driving and you may continue you cannot do the same with a human life uh, it's called hit and run and you'll be locked up uh, for that and even the bible strongly condemns that at least from what i can see for now the difference between animal life and human life is what we, the word that we see here and what we are discussing right now when god formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul we don't see that with any other uh, creature that god has created apart from man Dr. John, how special is that uh, from your understanding? I do not know if this particular professor is uh, right in every way, but what do you think about that explanation and how great is that? How, how do you perceive the fact that we are different from all other life? And let me encourage the listeners to post any questions that they may have in the chat as Dr. John uh, comments on that particular thought. Dr. John. Yes, David, I, I think uh, he's on to something uh, there. And, and I think even in Genesis chapter uh, three, uh, four, sorry, uh, chapter four, when we see that Cain and Abel uh, brought of their uh, sacrifices of their work uh, to, to God and, uh, and Abel brought a sacrifice that had blood in it. And it was obviously a sacrifice of uh, an animal that had blood. And so life is in the blood. Uh, and, and, and so that does distinguish uh, living beings, uh, living uh, animals, and uh, it makes us different than plant life. And, um, and so, yes, very, very clearly, uh, I think uh, he's on to something there. Uh, it is the reason why from, um, well, really from Genesis 3, when, when Adam and Eve cover themselves with uh, foliage, right? They cover themselves with leaves, and then God actually himself provides animal skins. So again, there's, there's been a blood sacrifice that God has made to clothe Adam and Eve in, in Genesis chapter 3. And, uh, and so from that time on, from the time of man's sin, uh, the lifeblood is what's required uh, for the appropriate sacrifice. And I think that's, uh, you know, that was why uh, priests uh, for years in, in the Hebrew uh, tradition had to uh, take uh, spotless uh, lamb uh, and, and spotless birds, animals, and, and shed their blood uh, as sacrificial for, for that very reason because that's where life is and uh, and we as uh, souls uh, have life uh, our life is is in that same lineage of Adam and Eve uh, we are embodied spirits like Adam and Eve but like we'll talk about uh, Wednesday uh, we're more than like Adam and Eve we, we have the spirit of the living God inside us as well. Hmm. Thank you so much. Dr. John, my last question is as easy as the first question that I asked at the beginning. Again, one more time, I'd like you to pretend you're talking to a child and simplify this as, as much as you can. We've listened, we've learned for the last um, 30 minutes 
well, actually one hour from the different music that we've listened to in the beautiful exposition concerning this word soul. Um, now, in Africa, we take it as it is. We, we, we are not sentimental in any way. And uh, what I'm about to ask you, give it to us as raw as possible. How should I wake up different tomorrow? What do I mean by that? What are some of the very simple practical behavior that needs to change? If someone is listening to us tonight, one example I'll give for me is, and we spoke about this earlier when we were discussing the topic of the heart, really, is I cannot be, I cannot be racist in any way. Just because my skin color is different does not mean I'm less important or mm-hmm. I'm more important than another person. And so for one here who might view people differently based on race should wake up tomorrow and realize that God sees all of us the same and therefore should stop should stop looking at people of different races as as less important and them as more important. And even here in Uganda we do have different races. Uh, we call them tribes. And in Africa we do have different nations and you can tell when you pass by someone from South Sudan and they've been given a name if you if you're close to a border stage and one of them is passing you'll hear them exclaim different things uh, concerning these people who um, we supposedly think are different from us and so anyone here who may view others of a different race as less important i think should stop uh, not just uh, tomorrow morning but right now but what are some of the things dr john that you would consider practical behavior that needs to change having understood the biblical definition of the word soul maybe name for us three before we come to the end of our show uh yes i i think david just just beginning to look not just at yourself as a soul but beginning to look at everyone else around you uh, every other human being as a soul. I think that's a very important thing that we understand that everyone is an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's plan. And, uh, and that eternal destiny is something that we in community, when we interact with each other, uh, even in our neighborhoods and certainly in our families and our marriages, uh, our soul impacts the souls around us. There's no question about it. And so what I would suggest probably as an exercise between now and Wednesday night is that each of your listeners take, take some time, uh, perhaps a few minutes, uh, to find a mirror and to look in a mirror, look into your own eyes in the mirror and see in the body that you're in that you are a spirit you're an unceasing spiritual being made with a human body and and to understand that within that creation of god an an, an eternal spirit in a body that is going to be temporary there is inherent conflict there, there is within every human being because we're, we're physical on the one hand, but on the other hand, we're, we're spiritual and try to understand how that 
every single person is in a struggle because of that makeup of a human being. There's no one that doesn't experience some kind of, of, of angst. And we'll even see with Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself, his soul, when we talk about that in the next few days, um, he struggled in his soul. So for us, I think that's an important thing is to understand that those around us, every person that we see is an unceasing spiritual being. So an eternal spiritual being in a temporary physical body. And, uh, and once you start looking at people that way, uh, for me, especially it was children. Uh, we had a Christmas play uh, here back in December and I went and sat uh, in the front of Indian Rocks uh, Church, and you've been there, so you know what that's like. It's a big, uh, like a, a big theater, and uh, the children came out to the side, and they were cute, and probably none of them more than ten years old. And I counted them; there were twenty little souls up there. And because I'd been starting to learn this, instead of looking at them as just kids, or or you know, I I started. My, I started wondering, of these 20 souls, which four of them will be following the Lord when they go to college or after they go to college? Because uh, that's, about the, that's about how many kids who are raised in Christian traditions in our society end up staying uh, committed to the Lord through the, the college years. Now it gets a little better after that, but that's, that's as bad as it gets. And so I just found myself weeping as I, as I sat there looking at these little children, which otherwise I would have missed it. So I'd say, look at yourself. You're a soul. Your whole being is a soul. Look at others in that way. And I think when you look at people that way, David, you have a very hard time maintaining uh, prejudice, maintaining uh, um, pride and, and maintaining a, a sense that, uh, you know, that you're worthy and the other person isn't. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to bed, you, go to bed. You, go to bed. you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Cabin Devils. Your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 9 p.m. East African Time.